0: The January 2013 edition of Ordinary Means. That's right. It's a new year. And no, no new guys. It's still Sean and Matt. I'm your host, Sean Nolan. <laughs>
1: Sorry to <laughs> disappoint you.
0: <laughs> you thought we were going for a whole new format, but no, it's the same old format because we like this format. It works. Um, so Matt... Are you familiar with what's happened in Connecticut over the past? We're recording this podcast in late December. It's not quite Christmas, although when you're listening to this, it will be the new year. And uh, by then, I will imagine all of you have heard about the the massacre of, uh, I think it's 25 was the last number I heard, Uh, many of those, most of those being five-year-old kindergartners in an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, Young man, about 20 years old, um, starts out at home, shoots his mother, and then proceeds to uh, apparently the school where his mother taught and uh, makes his way into that school, forces his way in, and with a couple handguns, uh, massacres. Um, the the kids and anybody who is uh, who anybody who tries to get in his way, including the principal and uh, at least two, possibly three teachers. Um, the why why are we talking about this? We're not a news program. Um, well, but we're we're a theological podcast, and the question comes up whenever something like this happens. Whenever you have a shooting, um, like this. You know, and this was a case where it wasn't a you know a student in the school coming back. This was just somebody outside of the school coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ask the questions. You know, are my kids safe? Are any of us safe when something like this happens? It's very, very close to home for all of us, and um, I think we can agree with President Obama that uh, everybody's weeping with them. Mm-hmm. Everybody is saddened by what's happened. How do we respond? Uh, how how does God meet us here in the midst of this? Um, is there is there hope when you've just lost a child?
1: Um,
0: where do you where do you even go with that? Uh, so that's what we wanted to talk about. Um, in fact, we don't even have a title for this podcast yet. It's I, I know a couple months ago we talked about the ordinary means and suffering, and I, I think it's related and. It, Encourage you to go back and look at that podcast, uh, give it a listen. Um, But today, it's more about what is this? What does it mean? Um, What can we as Christians offer to grieving parents? In uh, how how does God meet us in the ordinary means, and how does that help? Mm. Um, I have I found an article. That was very helpful to me this week. Uh, it was rather ironic. I've been teaching uh, r- some Russian literature. I've been, I've been teaching um, – oh, all I can think of is the name of the f- main character in the book, Ivan Denisovich. Who wrote that, Matt? No idea. Uh, it is Begins with an S, Russian author. Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn, thank you, because I have Dostoevsky – on the paper in front of me, and whenever I look at Dostoevsky, I cannot remember Solzhenitsyn. Um, have you read that, the, the Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich?
1: I haven't, but uh, what is uh, ironic and wonderful, um, by the providence of God or by the spirit of God, whichever way you want to attribute it, is I was just looking up a Solzhenitsyn quote myself without you knowing it. Really? So Solzhenitsyn is where we should go for the moment, I think. Let's go.
0: Okay, so let's go to Solzhenitsyn. He, well, actually, I'm going to go to Dostoevsky, but I've been teaching Solzhenitsyn. He has this character named Ivan. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is... It's a, it's a story of the gulag. Right. And the, the prison camps in Russia. And um, uh, he himself had gone. Uh, but he writes this story about this fellow, um, Ivan Denisovich uh, Shukov, who is a who is in the gulag. And it's just the story of one day. Now, this is published in... I want to say the 1960s Uh, was published in a Russian magazine while uh, Russia was still communist. Uh, Khrushchev had become the general secretary of Russia in 53, I believe, and he started a policy of anti-Stalinization. He thought that the best thing for his political party was to set themselves up over against Stalin before him. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the decisions he made was to publish this this book, the A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, as a way of sort of saying, "See how bad Stalin was." Mm-hmm. But in reality, what this book did was it created the spark that ultimately tore down communism, mm. uh, underlying all of this. So, so this communist leader publishes this anti Gulag book. That ends up being the underlying thing that by the time you get to Gorbachev, um, they're ready to tear the wall down. They've already uh, gotten rid of communism. So so, uh, this character Ivan is not a Christian. Um, Solzhenitsyn was but uh his character ivan denisovich is not but he puts him in close proximity in this book to uh a fellow by the name of uh, alyosha who is a baptist hmm. and who he looks very favorably upon uh he's a very he's a very respected member of this of you know they all bunk together in this one in this one uh area And uh, so it's interesting. He's got this character named Ivan who is not a believer, but there's a believer that's close to him. And I would actually – I think this is why Russia, when the wall first came down, was so very open to Christian organizations like – you know, almost every Christian organization was welcome in. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I think you're familiar with now, uh, they've – the government has made a deal with the Russian Orthodox Church to where they're getting – they're kicking out what Mm -hmm. they call – the cults and that includes everything from jehovah's witness to baptist to presbyterian whatever what have you okay so he's got this ivan character not a christian but there's a a positive christian character in it um dostoevsky does the same thing in brothers karamazov he has a character named ivan who is not a believer but who is surrounded by um christians and it's mm-hmm. the same thing in both of these – with both of these Russian authors, both of these books, there is no, there is no significant conversion. It's just the presentation of Christianity in a, in a positive, uh, hopeful, helpful sense. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's, uh, that's the foundation for this article um, that I want to read you just a little quote from. This is uh, from the New York Times of all places. And the author is a uh, was a Russian or, is a Russian Orthodox fellow, and he begins by talking about Dostoevsky. And saying, in, you know, instead of him presenting uh, sort of a theological argument for the fact that God is good, okay, okay? and so in the midst of suffering, is it our place? To present a theological... this is the question he's asking: Is it our place to present a theological argument that God is good, or, and this is this is what he says? But what Dostoev- he argues? What Dostoevsky does is he sh- is he through narrative shows examples of Christian love which transcends suffering. Hmm. This is the same thing that I. Ivan Denisovich, that you have in Ivan Denisovich, is, um, is this presentation of a Christianity that transcends the suffering of the gulag. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the quote. He says, In this, the Russian novelist was being true to the spirit of the New Testament, which likewise seeks to establish God's goodness through a narrative rather than an argument. A revelation of his solidarity with human struggle, I. I that's a, that's a key phrase right there. A, mm-hmm. a revelation of his solidarity with human struggle. That's the incarnation, mm-hmm. rather than a philosophical proof of his benevolence. He says, in the same way, the only thing that my re- that my religious tradition, I'm assuming he's he's Russian Orthodox, uh, has to offer to the bereaved of Newtown today. Besides an appropriately respectful witness to their awful sorrow, because we, we can all do that,
1: mm-hmm. he
0: says, is a version of their story and the realism about suffering that it contains. The realism may be hard to see at Christmas time when the sentimental side of faith owns the cultural stage. But the Christian story isn't just about the manger and the shepherds and the baby Jesus, meek and mild. The rage of Herod is there as well, mm, and, the sla- and the slaughtered innocence of Bethlehem, and the myrrh that prepares bodies for the grave, the cross—this uh, is, this is in the New York Times—the cross looms behind the stable, the shadow of violence, agony, and death. And then he finishes, he says, in the leafless hills of western Connecticut— this is the only Christmas spirit that could possibly matter now. Who's the author? You know, I don't have the name right in front of me. I just have the quote here. I pulled it from an article, and um, I don't – I'm sorry. I can, let me, I can look it up. You
1: want you, you're going to link to the article or – I will. If you can. I will. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a paid article. But I'm guessing that that's uh, Ross – I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Doubt it. Um, who's written a lot of very interesting things of late and writes in the New York Times. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if that's the author. But you're right. That's the the only... (laughs) I mean, it's a very sobering thing in the midst of what we try and, in modern American consumerism, have be a very um, trite, cliched, happy, superficial... Everything's okay because we have presents, kind of holiday. Yeah. And this sort of shatters all of it and goes, "Ugh, we can't even have a a worry-free Christmas." And um, and of course, <laughs> that when you look to the scriptures and you look to the depth of, uh, as I like to put it, "This is the only baby ever born to die." Mm-hmm. And um, you know that does it sits it sits in the background. And it's fascinating to me as a theologian when I see people's reactions to this. I read an article by a conservative author who will remain nameless um, yesterday and, um, about the Newtown situation. And, um, and his statement was like what I read from a lot of uh, conservative – and what I mean by that is politically conservative in America if you're listening to this somewhere else. So, um, which is to say there's real evil and it's them. And, and so, you know, if you look at the political spectrum on the left, um, they're saying, um, no, it was the access to the guns that was the problem. If you look at the political spectrum on the right, they'd say, no, there's, there's evil people out there. Here's a Solzhenitsyn quote that I think is, fits better with the scriptures. It fits better with how we ought to, as believers, process this. Here's what Solzhenitsyn says. This is in the Gulag Archipelago. He says, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who's willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? See, the the political left wants to say it was the guns the political right wants to say there are evil people, lock them up. And the ordinary means come back to us with Luke 18. And and Jesus, when people ask him, I'm sorry, Luke uh, 13. And people come to him and they say, um, Jesus is, uh, let me just read it because it's better if I read it before I talk about it. It's Luke chapter 13. Um there were some present at that very time who told him, meaning Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Salome fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Um, it, it's permanently imprinted on me. We're coming up to the anniversary of, I guess this would be the, the eighth anniversary of the, um, uh, horrible earthquake and tsunami that happens. I don't know. I think it was 2004. Uh, I might have my dates wrong. Um, that killed, you know, like a quarter of a million oh, No, I'm sorry, a quarter of a billion people. No, a quarter of a billion, 250,000 people, um, And I remember in the aftermath of that tragedy um, that uh, I remember reading – it was probably John Piper um, who wrote about this maybe in World Magazine. And he said, whenever tragedy hits, um, we should always turn to Luke 13 Hmm. because because our tendency – is to say, those evil guns, or those evil people, and oh, whenever you, one of my elders likes to say that whenever you point your finger at somebody, there's three pointing back at you. And I think that we, we forget, in the midst of this, that um, that the right, the political right, only gets the situation like this half right. There are evil people. It's just that it's all of us, and that's why we need a savior. That's what Jesus was saying in Luke thirteen, and I realize that's not like a really cheery Christmas word. Woohoo, way to great go into the new year. We're all sinners, oh, 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 oh. Um, but but the message of the I mean, the, uh, the message that the ordinary means of grace bring to us, the message of the scriptures, the message of the table, the message of baptism. The reason we pray, um, the whole big picture of this thing is that Solzhenitsyn gets it right. It, it, evil cuts through the heart of every single person. And these circumstances should should make us go and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. No, it shouldn't make us do that. It should make us go, hey, apart from God's grace, that's me. Um, and that the ordinary means always humble us about our sin and humble us that we don't have capability on our own. They humble us and they they tell us of our judgment worthiness as well as the blessing of salvation through Christ. Um, And I'm just impressed that that we shouldn't be pontificating, but we should be um, meditating on our own sinfulness and our gratitude for Christ would be increased.
0: Well, that's the the realism that the author speaks of here in this mm-hmm. article is that the real world is a hard place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the real world is not, um, you know, we, we do, we do make Christmas our sentimental perspective on Christmas. Even I would go as far to say our worldly materialistic Perspective on Christmas. Gosh, do I have those notes with me? I have a great quote by uh, Solzhenitsyn on – see, he came to America, and you would think he would oppose – coming from communism, he would have opposed the sort of anti-materialism of communism. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and rather, and embraced the materialism of the United States. But he actually didn't. He actually, while he was here, I think he was at, um, I know he lived in Vermont, but I I, I, I want to say Stanford asked him to come and uh, and be present here. Um, this would have been sometime in the mid-70s. He just, he realize, he just died in 2008.
1: Yeah, yeah. Recently, what's the yeah.
0: quote? quote uh, the quote he basically says, "No, what we need to realize is it's just a different form of materialism, that the that the that the West and the East both struggle with materialism. It's just different forms, and they're both just as evil. Hmm. In fact, uh, let me see. Let me see if I can pull the quote. I might have it here." Keep talking. We don't want people just to listen to nothing while I'm, while I'm looking for
1: this quote. Yeah, It's interesting because it, it, um, it... Materialism is a fascinating thing because, of course, Christianity, by having the doctrine of creation, is the one that, that says that material things are good. And that's why they'll be renewed. It's why we'll get new bodies. It's why Jesus is in a body forever. And why we'll get new bodies and live in a new heavens and new earth, a real physical place where we'll have an existence and be ourselves and remember things and go further up and further in, as Tolkien or uh, Lewis taught us. Um, and I think that's wise and true and helpful, actually. Um, but it's also a uh, Christianity also says that one of our great dangers is to worship that which is made. And so there's a delicate thing here where we enjoy the things that are made as tokens of the goodness of our, but that we never worship them, but instead always worship him for them. And that's a delicate line where the objects themselves is the Roman one, Romans one line. You know, where's the line where um, we were invited to a dinner party last week and had um, prime rip? You know, where's the line where you are enjoying the prime rib for the sake of the prime rib or itself instead of, or, you know, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. It's not that you should stop eating or stop drinking. That's the, that's the ascetics problem that Colossians deals with and Paul deals with in Romans 14, places like that. That's not the answer. The answer isn't to stay away from material things. It's to use them rightly. Um, and uh, so there's a, there's a. You can react to material things by either idolizing them or rejecting them, but in neither case are you actually using them. Um, and probably that's what that's the kind of thing that that Solzhenitsyn is trying to say. Do you find your quote, John?
0: I do find the quote. He says this. He says we have placed too much hope in political and social reforms. This is interesting, given that within within a day of the Newtown, Connecticut thing, the president is already calling for gun reform. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's, that's why the president is speaking. There's a, there's a political aim here. Solzhenitsyn says he, we've placed too much hope in political and social reforms only to find out that we were being deprived of our most precious possession, our spiritual life. He says in the East, it is destroyed. Our spiritual life is destroyed by the dealings and machinations of the ruling party. In the West, commercial interests tend to suffocate it. This is the real crisis. The split in the world is less terrible than the similarity of the disease plaguing its main sections.
1: oh, that's fascinating. so it's he sick. says
0: the East and the West have the same sickness.
1: Hmm. just from different perspectives it's
0: just yeah, but in both cases it's it's our our humanistic materialism eating away at our spiritual life. Now, how do we apply that to to Newtown? Um, It's, it's very easy to say, um, to go a couple different directions with this. Um, You know, there could be those who try to drown their sorrow. I mean, everybody, they're, they're going to grieve. These parents are going to grieve. Absolutely. You don't, you don't not grieve, um, but where do you go from there? Where do you go a year from now, mm-hmm. um, when when all the tears that could be shed have been shed? And and I think the answer is you come back to the one who, the one who knows you, the one who suffered in all things, the way you suffer the one who underwent every temptation yet without sin. If anyone understands the realism of what you're suffering, it's Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. If anyone has been in that reality more than your neighbors, more than um, all of the, the self-help, all of the psychology, all of the things that people are going to throw at these folks in Newtown, mm-hmm. they, need, they need the daily realism that that a cross is the answer, that that hope is found not, uh, that hope isn't found in that child. Hope is found in the Christ child.
1: Well, and I think, um, I think that people don't ponder enough. Um, You know, those parents... And, and, it, and if this would get to them, I certainly would not want this to come across as, as um, rude. Um, and I don't mean it this way. Those parents unwillingly gave up their children. And, and the wonder of the cross to me is that God is so concerned. And this is uh, this is, you know, filtering some Tim Keller stuff. But, but let me just see if I can put it in a way that's helpful. The gospel tells me that the kind of father I have in heaven, the degree to which he is passionate about eliminating violence and injustice, um, uh, suffering, evil, the degree to which he is passionate about all of that is not shown in his willingness to prevent it now. It's shown in his willingness to not have a son taken from him, but to choose to give him up because he didn't have to, but he did. And the the wonder of Jesus is that in the conversation among the Trinity, uh, and I don't mean this blasphemous. I, this 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 happened. This is why the world was created. Um. somebody needed to go and redeem the world. And Jesus said, I'll go. That's, that's the wonder of the manger. That's what Rust, it is, Ross Dothat, who wrote that article. That, that's what he's pointing to, trying to. Is that when we see a parent whose son was taken from them, we have to point them to to. A heavenly father who, who didn't have a son taken from him, but, but chose to give his son away so that no more sons would ever be taken away. Um, it doesn't explain everything now. I, I realize that, but it's profound and it's deep that that's the degree to which God is dedicated to finally and fully eradicating evil and violence and injustice from the world. That's how passionate he is about it.
0: One well, that the only reason that there is still a world that has evil and injustice in it is because God is patiently bringing sinners like you and I to Himself.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: There's a um, hymn. I don't know. Maybe, but, maybe is there something else you wanted to add to that?
1: Yeah, it's just patience. It's an yeah, amazing. It's
0: patient. Yeah patience is in a sense is our salvation the patience of god his long suffering with us to get to the point of sending his son mm-hmm. he um john 3 uh all we all know john 316 god so loved the world he sent his only begotten son and there it is there's that that willing giving up of a child versus the unwilling have unwillingly having the child taken from us, mm-hmm. um, I, I actually I, I thought Matt that was a, that was a good way to put it. Um, but I, when Jesus came the first time in John three, he says, he says I did not come to judge the world, um, but the world might be saved through me, and then he says, but those who have not believed have been judged already, and he goes on for the rest of the chapter to talk about judgment. But the reason he can talk about judgment is because Jesus comes the first time, Christmas, the Christmas message, is Jesus came and he came to, in essence, God's wrath was full when Jesus came the first time. God was ready to put out the lights of every created being. Mm-hmm. That had walked away from him. Uh, the the train The train was coming to the end, and Jesus steps in front of the train and takes the wrath,
1: mm.
0: and by that buys the patience of God. I, I I want to be careful here because I realize that I, I want to say the son's buying something from the father, but you understand in a narrative sense. The Mm -hmm. the son buys the patience of God for another day that until he comes again, judgment is withheld that men might be saved. Mm. Um, It's amazing. I have a hymn. I don't know if we want to end with this.
1: Sure. Go for it.
0: Have you you ever heard a few more days shall a few more years shall roll? You ever heard this hymn?
1: I don't think so. Go for it. I've,
0: I didn't know it existed until recently. Um, it's Horatio, it's uh, Horatius Bonar, so you know it's good before I even read it. Um, it goes like this. It says, a few more years shall roll, a few more seasons come, and we shall be with those that rest asleep within the tomb. Then, O my Lord, prepare my soul for that great day. O wash me in thy precious blood. And take my sins away. A few more storms shall beat on this wild and rocky shore, And we shall be where tempests cease, And surges swell no more. Then, O my Lord, prepare my soul for that calm day. O wash me in thy precious blood, and take my sins away. A few more Sabbaths here shall cheer us on our way, and we shall reach the endless rest, the eternal Sabbath day. Then, O oh my Lord, prepare my soul for that sweet day. O oh, wash me in thy precious blood and take my sins away. That is the life we live in. That, that's the beautiful thing about this hymn, is that's the realism. There's no, there's no putting, a, putting a good face on it. It's a few more lashings of the waves wearing away the rocky shores full of cracks and crevices and downright evil things, and the Lord will come again. And on that second Christmas, <laughs> on, the, on the the end of Cra- the Christmas will be no more. There will be no more Santa Claus. Uh, there will be no more presents under the tree. Instead, the presents will be uh, all of the benevolence of god in the heavenly places. and that's a beautiful thing. that's a beautiful beautiful thing. that's that's where our hope's got to be.
1: mhm absolutely.
0: and uh, and so we can pray we can pray for these folks who lost their children, lost loved ones, uh husbands, wives. and um i was encouraged to hear so many of them were in churches uh, mm-hmm. on, on you know on the sunday following and i just pray pray for their souls that they would meet this one who knows who knows them better than they know themselves and can give them the kind of that kind of hope
1: absolutely absolutely
0: well thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you again in february until then may the lord richly bless you as you pursue him through his ordinary means